Welcome to Let's Drive, SA's motoring podcast brought to you by Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa. In this episode, the new BMW 330 diesel and the Ford Mustang Roush Stage 3 conversion. We catch up with SA driving legend Janiel de Villiers. And as always, it's the Let's Drive Top 5. Are you ready? Let's drive. Welcome once again to the show, episode two. Thanks very much for joining us and thanks for listening to episode one. We got tremendous feedback and we're very glad to announce that joining us as the official partners, uh, Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa. And joining me as my official co-host, as always, we've got Voldu van der Waal and Hannes Fisser. Good afternoon, gents. Voldu, how are you doing during lockdown? Oh, lucky, Derek. I must say that tune that you got for the intro of the show has me tapping my feet. It's really a good one. You know, it sort of lifts the spirits in the middle of lockdown. Well done. Yeah, it's a goodie. Thanks so much. Hannes, uh, that music's right up your alley. Yeah, I like it. And as Waldo said, uh, it lifts the spirits. And spirits do need lifting at this stage of, 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 of the uh, lockdown, don't they? Yeah, they certainly do. Man, we've got a jam-packed show. But as I announced, up front and center, Toyota Gazoo Racing SA joining us as partners. Waldo, great news. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant news. You know, the, the Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa squad is arguably the best known racing team in South Africa or Southern Africa. Um, obviously, within South Africa, taking part in uh, the South African Cross Country Series, uh, which is run in South Africa and Botswana in the form of the Toyota 1000 Desert Race. But then certainly the biggest part of their repertoire is they, they're taking part in the Dakar Rally every year. And that's what's really put them not only on a, a you know, sort of plinth in South Africa, but also on the global stage. Yeah, and that's uh, a little race that we know quite a bit about, but we'll get into the details a little later regarding Toyota Gazoo Racing SA. Also, the history of the name, how the company uh, came to be, and uh, as mentioned up front, uh, Janille de Villiers will be catching up with him a little later. And uh, Valdu, you're still in Joburg, as am I, and uh, Hannes, yeah, you're still out in the wilderness. I am indeed. I have a lovely view of, out of the ocean at the moment. Uh, not too bad weather at the moment. So yeah, it's lovely. Yeah, yeah we are extremely envious. So without further ado, let's uh, get into the show. Live in the moment till I die. First up, uh, the new BMW 330 diesel. Uh, a great car. Voldy, uh, you seem to like it a lot. Yeah, Derek, I was very fortunate. I got to spend quite a bit of time in the new car. And I'd like to say immediately that this really isn't so much a review of the 330 itself, but more of the 3 Series as a new model, because this is a completely new series. Um, it's known internally as the G20, um, and the previous model was known as the F30. Those are just the internal code names that BMW use, but it helps us to differentiate them. Uh, so the G20, the new one, Bigger, faster, more rigid, everything is better on the new car, as you'd expect from a car that's been um, in development for a number of years. But what makes this one so interesting to me is how it's now bordering on the territory of the BMW 5 Series, which is obviously the, the, the one model up, the bigger, fancier, and much more expensive car. All of a sudden, the 3 Series, to me, is now encroaching on the terrain of its big brother. Um, the 5 Series has never been a massive seller in South Africa. And I think now with a new 3 Series, there's going to be even less reason for people to even consider the 5 Series because this car really is that good. Yeah, it's an interesting take encroaching on the 5 Series. And 
Uh, I mean, having a look, I, I haven't had the privilege of driving it, but uh, I've looked at a lot of reviews and, and I've heard words mentioned along the lines of the best BMW ever. Uh, I'm not going to put you on the spot with that regard, but I mean, it's rated very, very highly. You know, the thing is, BMW has a reputation as being a driver's car, as offering sheer driving pleasure, if we're allowed to use their own tagline for many years. And as long as that stays there, the, the, as the core value of a BMW, what they put around it really is what differentiates one model from the other. And I can happily report that the sheer driving pleasure is very much still a part of this car, the new 3 Series. As a matter of fact, it's probably the most responsive chassis 3 Series that I've ever driven. But um, beyond that, the car has grown up so much in terms of equipment levels, of noise, vibration, and harshness. Um, the, the mechanics of the entire thing just work so well. You know, to call it the best BMW of all time, maybe not, but it is the newest one. And as such, it probably could be the best one for the moment. Ooh, jeez. Uh, fighting words. Hannes, uh, would you be nodding your head uh, in that side on the wilderness or...? Well, yes and no. You know, it all depends. And I always say um, people come to us and ask us, you know, what, what car should I buy? What's the best car? And it all depends on who you are and, and what your requirements are. So is it the best BMW? Well, certainly for the most amount of BMW buyers, because it's a three series, um, they sell more than they would five and seven and, and whatever all the other ones, you know. So to most people, it is the best BMW. Um, but, you know, Valdo was saying that the car's grown up and it's become bigger and better in every way. And obviously you'd expect that. And often it happens that manufacturers build cars, cars that start um, cannibalizing off each other, you know, other models within their own range. And this is certainly the case. Uh, the, this car is so good that people might want to argue that then why buy a 5 Series? But in the same breath, the 5 Series has also grown up and has also be, become bigger and better and, and more luxurious. And, and, and so that sort of speaks again to a more uh, upper target market once again. So, you know, there's definitely a right for both of them to coexist next to each other, even though they overlap sort of somewhat. And uh, unfortunately, with uh, the 3 Series being bigger and better, it also comes with a, with, a, with a bigger price tag. I'm sure we'll get to that just now. Well, that is I'm the sure big one, Willis. Yeah, we'll get there in a moment. But one of the interesting things, Hannes, is that the car is bigger than it was before by 40 millimeters just on the wheelbase itself. So just the, the, the distance between the front and the rear axle has grown by four centimeters, which is actually quite a lot. Even so, the car is 55 kilograms lighter than it was in the past. So it's gotten bigger, but it's gotten lighter. And that's testimony to modern uh, manufacturing techniques and the materials that's available to the car designers. But at the same time, the structure is 50% more rigid than it was before. Now, we often see this number um, and, and people say, to us, well, what does it matter if the car is rigid or not? Uh, once they get to a certain point, obviously you don't want a floppy car, but once they get to a point where the car is rigid enough, does it really matter if it's 50% more rigid or 10% or well, who cares really? The reality is that it makes a massive difference in how well the suspension can work because if the structure is more rigid, then everything works with the suspension of the car. Whereas if the structure is a little bit more floppy and, and movable, and we're talking millimeter microns, not even millimeters, less than that. But if it is a little bit more floppy, then obviously the, the suspension doesn't fall as much. And the fact that BMWs managed to make this car more rigid, lighter, and bigger at the same time is actually one hell of an achievement. Yeah, especially considering it's coming off a high base as it was already, you know. So improving on something that's already good uh, means that they really know this stuff. Uh, they certainly do. The problem that I have with it, and, and Derek already touched on that, is that now, a BMW 330 diesel costs 800,000 Rand. 
And that's before you start adding all the very nice toys to it. Look, admittedly, the baseline spec level for BMWs has improved significantly over the years. Um, the German 3 had a very bad reputation at a certain stage that you basically bought a shell and then had to spend a lot of money to put anything into it. Um, that's no longer the case. The, the baseline models are generally very well spec But as soon as you start adding the very nice to have toys, the price just skyrockets. Even so... 800 grand for a 330 diesel is anything but small change. But what scares me is that the entry-level car in this new series is 640,000 rand. That's the cheapest three series you can buy at the moment, Big which mark. means that it's, it's, <laughs> it's quite a mountain of money for, for what is essentially still, you know, one of the smaller models in the BMW range. And if you look at its closest competitors uh, in terms of price-wise, I mean, what would buyers uh, looking to compare it to? Uh, the thing is, it's always the German 3, so it's Audi A4 and Mercedes C-Class, and BMW has been very competitive with their pricing lately. Um, you know, it's difficult to say because one of them is always the best, and the one that's the best is the newest one. In this case, it's the BMW, and as such, its pricing is on the upper edge of its um, competitors. But then the new BMW, uh, the new Merc comes out, and the new Audi comes out, and then they take the top spot as the best in that class, and also the one with the biggest price tag. So, you know. It's, it's a, a world that's constantly in flux. And as a buyer, the best thing you can do is probably to shop around as much as possible and, and to pressure the dealers. Trust me, at this point of the game, they'll, um, they'll come uh, to the party in a big way. Yeah, and also just keep in mind that between those three German competitors, there are so many different variants and models within a 3 Series and A4 and a C-Class, whatever to choose from, with different spec levels and engine options. and, and, and. So one is definitely uh, guaranteed to find whatever you are looking for. Inside, business as usual? Uh, very much as usual, though. It feels to me as if, though, the build quality is even better than it was before, which is that's, it's almost impossible to imagine because the 3 Series has always been built like a brick shithouse, and this is just getting better and better. The materials are really good. It really does feel like an upmarket, expensive vehicle, which it really is. I guess if you look at the price tag, then that's what you'd expect. Although um, I just want to interrupt you there quickly. Are you allowed to say that on a podcast? <laughs> oh, I'm sure Derek has got a, a ton of beeps there somewhere. <laughs> so he, he, he might have to use them. But anyway, carry on. Sorry. Um, so, yes, um, what is interesting to me is how, you know, years ago when technology first started emerging, people used to say, don't worry, these things will trickle down. Things like head-up display, which was in a 7 series, and then it was in a 5 series, and now it's in a 3 series, and even in a 1 series. You know, just as an example, the technology really is trickling down. And this, this car now has all the fancy things that you used to only get in the bigger and fancier BMWs. Um, and in certain sections, it even leads the way again. You know, you, you can speak to your car, but your car can now also speak to you. It can tell you things and read messages out to you and so on. Uh, there's, it's just so many things that this car is capable of doing beyond transporting. The highlight for you? Um. I don't know. The whole package to me just works. The, the biggest question that I actually have, and I'll answer your question properly in a moment. The biggest question that I have is, is it worth buying a diesel at this point? Or is it the right thing to even consider a diesel? Because this was a 330 diesel. Um, and, and we're living in a world where diesel's days are clearly numbered. And I was actually surprised to find that BMW still offers diesels. But then again, South Africa, it's a big diesel market. So I've got a little bit of a question mark over over that one. I think to me the highlight of the of the car really is the the feel of the interior. 
the, you know, it, it does feel like a much bigger car when you're inside it. There's plenty of room, but the way that it just ensconces you in, in luxury and cuts you off from the outside world, that to me must be the highlight of it. Low light? Uh, must be the price. <laughs> There's nothing else that's really a negative in that in that car. Shock or a shock. Uh, when I was chatting to you about it on WhatsApp uh, for a couple of days, actually, after you uh, got your hands uh, behind the wheel, uh, your words were astounding. Um, so so y- y- no doubt you're very, very impressed. Your let's drive out of five? There's very little to fault beyond the price. So this has to be a four or even a four and a half. Woo-hoo. To me, this is it's German perfection once again. Oh, the BMW 330. Hannes, uh, you got a score for us. Despite the fact that it's got the diesel engine, whereas the whole world, when it comes to passenger cars, are moving away from diesel, there's such a good diesel engine that it adds to the overall package. So as a package, I can't fault the 3 Series at all. I'll have to go 5 out of 5. 5 out of 5 and 4.5. Jeez, highly rated. And I'm going to chase Moving from BMW to uh, <laughs> Hannes, uh, your terrain, uh, you got to test this out, the Mustang. Well, not just any Mustang, Derek. So uh, Ford, as we all know, they uh, they came back last year with the latest generation of the, the iconic Ford Mustang muscle car, a car that um, gained fame in the in the States from the 60s onwards and so on. And um, so for the last few years, Ford South Africa has been selling the 5-litre V8 in South Africa as, as well as the 2.3-litre EcoBoost. And I was happy to attend the launch of the latest generation in Cape Town towards the end of last year. And I was very impressed, especially with the 2.3 liter EcoBoost, which I, at the at the time, I thought before driving it that this can't be a real Mustang. I mean, a Mustang has got to be a V8. It's a muscle car. But after driving the 2.3, I was like, oh, wow, you know, it's really, really well balanced. Um, and besides the fact that it's got an EcoBoost engine and a muscle car that doesn't, you know, it's two words that doesn't belong in the same sentence. But even so, I was really, really impressed. But then... Uh, This came about, and this specific Mustang that I drove is not just a Ford Mustang. It's uh, a Roush Stage 3 conversion, you know, so that's as far as they go with the Roush conversions. Uh, Ford fans across the world will know exactly what I'm talking about if I just name the word or name the name Roush. Uh, Jack Roush, of course, famous in America for his conversions on Fords. And we'll get to uh, some of those details a little bit later as far as the Roush connection in South Africa is concerned. But this specific one, was a Roush Stage 3, which means it had all the bells and whistles, all the power, everything that you can expect from an American muscle car, uh, obviously at a price. But it was one hell of a drive, a big smile on my face, as the Ford Mustang does, you know, it puts a big smile on your face. And that's what American muscle cars are all about. And this is a real proper, proper American muscle car. I won't lie, when I got to see this car and I knew that you'd be taking it on, uh, I, I could imagine that uh, you would get that uh, massive smile on your face. Uh, you've got uh, a, a big history when it comes to racing and uh, you must have loved having all that power uh, beneath your feet. Well, let's speak about the power. So so the Ford Mustang 5-litre V8 is a, is a handful, as it is, the standard one. The standard one comes with 331 kilowatts connected to only the rear-wheel drives, you know. So, and like any proper American muscle car, and Ford will probably not be happy for me saying this, um, because they, they they believe that the latest one has made good strides towards better handling. But let's face it, an American muscle car is made to go fast in straight lines. They don't like corners all that much. And uh, they fun around a racetrack to drift and, you know, switch a traction control off and spin up and light up the rear wheels. That's what they do best. They are not 
they don't have any finesse or, or, or you know precision like the Germans around a racetrack or corner or whatever. But that's fine because that's what a muscle car is all about. So what they've done with the Rush 3 is they've taken the 5-liter V8 with 331 kilowatts. So that's a hell of a lot of power, Derek. And they've added another 200 on top of that, by means of a huge supercharger, not a turbocharger, a supercharger with all sorts of fancy technology and whatever in it. All it does, it, it means that the power is available immediately. The moment your big toe touches the throttle, you've got access to, for, for, uh, what's it then, 530 kilowatts, uh, basically immediately. And all of that coupled to only the rear wheels um, results in some really, really uh, enthusiastic motoring, if I can say it like that. You know, it's a dangerous thing to drive a car like that um, from time to time. But then, I don't know if you know Jack Roush's history, the racing driver, the man that, you know, is obviously has his name linked to this product. But, you know, he actually crashed planes twice. Um, in, in 2002, he's, his plane went down. He wasn't flying it at the time. And he was, he was un, underwater and unconscious and was rescued by an off-duty Marine. And then again in 2020, he crashed his own car or his own um, <laughs> airplane, the Beechcraft, on the way to Oshkosh. So he's a man that, that doesn't care about living dangerously, obviously. I mean, <laughs> he's, he survived two plane crashes. So that's why his products are, are a bit hair-raising like the one that you've been driving. Well, clearly. And in typical American fashion, bigger is better. You know, So they just went for bigger and better and more power. And uh, I must tell you, the result is absolutely fantastic. Comes at a price though, because the uh, the standard five liter V8 Mustang comes in at nine hundred and something odd thousand. Uh, for the phase three rust tank conversion, you can fork out an extra seven hundred on top of that. So it doesn't come cheaply, but they know that they're only selling to limited uh, amount of customers. And 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 of course, the flip side of that is that you get something really really exclusive. Hannes, I've got to ask for the layman out there listening: muscle car definition? Oh. That's a tough one, dude, just out of the blue like that. A muscle car. <laughs> Ooh, I like um, the tough ones. Well, I can tell you what. Um, original muscle car is the Ford Mustang, the Chef Camaro, and the um, and the Dodge Challenger. There you go. So for anyone, go Google those. You get the 1960s picture of that in your mind, and then we'll take it from there. But the, 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 the Mustang as it is now is a very good modern interpretation of the authentic classic muscle car. So muscle car just means lots and lots of power all to the rear wheels, not really any finesse to it, terrible handling, which has obviously become better over the years slightly, but still not where the Germans are or any other proper sports car. So yeah, I mean, these things are made to put smiles on your faces and uh, to go fast in a straight line. Well, I sent down a, a left-handed swinging Yorker and you smashed me through the covers for four. So tough question, but uh, you handed it uh, with aplomb. Um, your, your highlight. Well, the highlight is just the sound, you know, just the, 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 the pure sheer bruteness of it all and the sound, you know, experiencing that 500 and whatever kilowatts going, breathing through that uh, supercharger is really spectacular. But you've got to take it on with a pair of gloves because I can tell you what, if you uh, get too enthusiastic and you don't know what you're doing, uh, in good old Afrikaans, you'll buy uh, behind the wheel of that car. So uh, careful if you drive it. Low light? Uh, stopping at the filling station or <laughs> every 30 minutes <laughs> filling it up. <laughs> There's a little bit of an anecdote there, isn't there? Would you, would you care to share that with us? Well, I will. They say that if you want to keep the horses, you've got to be able to feed them, you know? So uh, this is a classic and true example of, 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 of uh, keeping thirsty horses. Okay, and uh, your let's drive out of five. 
It's a difficult one. It depends on which side of the, the, the spectrum you are at. For certain people, it's definitely going to be a zero because they won't be able to drive it or, or afford the fuel. But again, from a motoring enthusiast point of view, if you like this sort of thing, this is modern-day American muscle car um, with an added extra touch with the, with the rise conversion. It has to be up there, you know, so four and a half out of five. Living the moment till I die. So that was the Ford Mustang Rush Stage 3 conversion, very, very highly rated by Hannes. Uh, now, the big question is, uh, where can one get hold of one? And uh, to tell us about all that and more, we've got the CEO of Ford Performance Center on the line, Grant Ashcombe. Uh, Grant, thanks so much for joining us. Jeez, what a car. <laughs> yeah, Derek, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's amazing. It, uh Absolutely puts a smile on my face every time I get into one of them. Tell us more about uh, the Ford Performance Center. From what I'm aware, there's a, a, a couple uh, around the country. Yeah, there's actually just two. Uh, we have the one in Centurion, and then we have uh, partners in uh, Maritzburg, Neil Woolridge uh, from Neil Woolridge Motors. They also run the um, SACC um, off-road uh, team with the Ford Rangers, so they're our partners. So there's one up here and one down in Maritzburg. And tell us about the, the, the Performance Centre, because, I mean, we spoke about the car a little earlier before you joined us, um, joining up with Roush, uh, American company named after Jack Roush. Uh, he's got a, a very storied history, and, uh, yeah, the Performance Centre certainly takes things up a notch. Yeah, um... <laughs> Performance Center is is um, agents for Ford Performance, uh, Ford Performance Parts in South Africa, as well as Roush, um, and 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 those are very different offerings, but very complementary. So it all started out with Ford Performance, but um, the Roush side of things certainly takes it up a notch because Roush is what's known as a QVM um, in the states, a qualified vehicle modifier. So. So that's a program that Ford Motor Company run in Detroit, and uh, only very few uh, guys actually get to qualify as QVMs. And that means uh, in the States that you can do pre-title fitments. In other words, pre-registration, we would call it in South Africa. But um, So those modifications are absolutely done to factory spec, OE spec, everything's tested, homologated, uh, crash tested, et cetera, et cetera, and complies with extrusion criteria, um, et cetera, et cetera. There's a whole list of them. So so that's what Roush brings. They're not a typically um, aftermarket company that just bolts on a whole lot of stuff onto your car. Everything that's on there is made and tested and, and manufactured by Roush themselves. Grant, now we've just uh, discussed the the, uh, the Phase 3 Mustang that I ex- experienced the other day. Um, but that's only part yeah. of it, you know. You, there's obviously a variety of different things that you guys do. There's also phase one and phase two on different models, and not only the Mustang. The uh, I think the Ranger and the Raptor is also part of your lineup. Can you tell us a bit more about those? Yeah, um, on the Rush offering, we have uh, RS one, two, and three. So that's Rush Stage one, Rush Stage two, and Rush Stage three. The one you drive is Stage three, and that's the only supercharged one. Uh, Stage two has body enhancements and performance, but not to the level of uh, stage three. It doesn't have a supercharger. And stage one is just body enhancements. Um, so that's the Mustang offering. And then uh, we do, under agreement with Ford Motor Company of South Africa, we do do 
uh, Ranger and Raptor upgrades. So there's various things we do. We um, uh, we put in hybrid turbos. We we fiddle with the tuning a bit. Um, yeah, and uh, so pretty exciting stuff. Certainly, very. Exciting. Go for it, Hannes. So yeah, the question I have when you when you said Raptor, my eyes lit up because we all know that the Raptor is a fantastic offering and the chassis is out of this world. Uh, and a lot of car fans and Bucky fans uh, believe that the, the the car deserves more power. So obviously you guys are doing that. Um, how much more power and at what cost? You know, just uh, for the Raptor fans out there, because I know that there are a lot of them. Yeah, the cost is about eighty five thousand, but um, what that includes is a warranty. So. You know, it's it's uh, it's the age-old debate. Uh, the manufacturers manufacture cars within given specifications, and even for ourselves, w- when we want to play with those, you know, they have very wide margins. And and when you want to alter any of the performance criteria, then you have to assume some of the li- liability that goes with it. So, therefore, we have to put, um, and we're the only guys in South Africa who can put a Ford Protect warranty on it, which is an official Ford product. And um, it's a powertrain warranty that then covers your powertrain in the event of something going wrong with the performance upgrade. So, you know, it's it's uh, an expensive way to go about it, but it gives you peace of mind. And it's uh, it's not a thumb suck, you know. It's, it's uh, a well-engineered option. So, yeah. Um, how much? Uh, yeah. How long is a piece of string? So, <laughs> you know, um, the guys will want uh, Raptors to be racing cars, and, and so do all of we. And I think somewhere down the line, they may come in a, a, a V6 option, which we really hope. But, uh, you know, we need to understand that we're starting off with the two liters. So there's only so much we can do. And, um, you know, we get about 20%, 25% power gain. But that's you know, depending on, on many factors, where you are in the country, et cetera, et cetera. So we don't quote specific numbers, um, you know, but we'll tell you, we'll give you between 20 and 30% more power. Thanks so much, Grant. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, the lockdown certainly having an effect uh, throughout the world. Have to ask finally, uh, yeah, geez, uh, how, how are you guys coping? Yeah, look, it's tough for everybody, you know. It's been six weeks weeks without um, um, any business, but uh, we're doing what we can, you know, behind the scenes and uh, we're hoping to open up again on the 4th and uh, a heck of a lot in the pipeline. So really optimistic and looking forward to getting back into uh, a Mustang. That's Grant Ashcombe, CEO from Ford Performance Center. Moving over now to Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa, who have very kindly joined us uh, on board as a partnership to Let's Drive. And uh, yeah, we're thrilled to to have them alongside us uh, in this long, adventurous journey. And uh, yeah, we've got a very long history with them, Hannes. Uh, and it's a company that just goes from strength to strength. Yeah, well, absolutely. You know, there are three different legs to to Tiaragazu uh, Racing. Obviously, we are very familiar with the, the cross-country racing one because that initiated in South Africa, and it is called Teatro Gazoo Racing South Africa, who, of course, was were responsible for the last uh, couple of years' Dakar effort. So on the one side, it's Teatro Gazoo Racing looking after Dakar. Then in Finland is the uh, the rally version of, of, of the team looking after the WRC, or the World Rally Championship cars. And then there's the World Endurance Championship team based in, in, uh, in Europe. 
And a lot of people, Voldu, when I speak about Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa, um, the first question is always, what's Janil de Villiers like? And the second question is, uh, what is Gazoo? That's a very good question. Well, Janil can tell you what Janil's like, but I can tell you where Gazoo comes from, um, or my take on it anyway. There's, there's a couple of interpretations of it, but the, the name Gazoo uh, was initially linked to a website in, uh, in Japan. Uh, you know, it's, it's a place where people used to come together to buy and sell vehicles um, that, uh, that embodied the sort of Japanese-ness of, of their lifestyle, of the way that things worked. So that's, it was like a, call it a gumtree of sorts if you want, but it was, it was more than that. It was a place where, where racing enthusiasts actually traded their cars and so on. And um, this, this thing grew into a, a brand name. People became to, came to associate the name Gazoo with, with that lifestyle. Um, and eventually it grew into its own being. Um, and that, that sort of taken on a, a form of its own. And, and it was adopted by Akio Toyota uh, of Toyota uh, as as part of you know his ethos, Derek. From what I can recall, and uh, they they explained it again to us because it it was a question on my lips for many years exactly how this whole website thing worked and and whatever it was all about. So apparently, Akio Toyota, long before he was the president of the uh, modern day Toyota Motor Corporation, um, you know how it works in the Japanese culture. They they have to do something special or bring something to the company and whatever. So he sort of took this whole. A gazoo website thing and, and, and took it under his wing and developed it further and sort of made it or turned it into a motoring portal of some sorts. And, um, you know, that was sort of one of his babies that he brought to the company. And Akio Teoda apparently was also, he's also a motorsports fan, enjoyed racing and driving around racetracks. And I believe he's not the fastest, or let's just rather say, um, out of respect, he might not be as fast as Janil de Villiers around a racetrack, but he wanted to go and enter in the Nürburgring, which obviously is the Nordschleife, the famous Green Hell racetrack in, in, in Germany, he wanted to enter a race at the Nürburgring, and Toyota said, "There's no way that you, as the as, as, as the future president of the company, um, can risk yourself and our company by by racing at uh, Nürburgring under our name." And he entered a car uh, under Toyota Gazoo Racing, and I think that's where the whole racing connotation came from. And I believe that to this day, whenever he races. Um, you will always see that there's a faster car, also Toyota, always just in front of him. And we believe that might be some famous Japanese racing driver still showing him the lines and the braking markers to this day. So that's where I think the whole gazoo racing connotation came from. It's an incredible story. And you mentioned it up front, uh, cross-country racing, the rally version. Uh, we've got the World Endurance Championships. I mean, it's a, it's a massive global brand. And of course, we've got the team that competes at the Dakar Rally. Uh, yeah, that's very much a part of the, the whole gazoo um, gamut of experiences at the moment. But I think the, the philosophy that runs through it is that, you know, the Toyota's aim is to build ever better cars. And using gazoo racing or their various racing programs is one of the ways that they keep on improving things. And certainly we've seen constant improvement on the Toyota Hilux that races at Dakar um, better and better every year. Well, speaking of better and better every year, we've got the man who uh, we were speaking about a little earlier, uh, one of South Africa's favorite sons. Uh, he is a racing legend beyond our borders, Janil de Villiers. Uh, Janil, thanks for joining us during lockdown. Good day, gentlemen. Hope you're well. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, Janil, geez, uh, how are you coping having to be cooped up inside a house and not uh, out in the open roads? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously it's difficult for everybody. Um, you know, everybody's got to stay indoors. Um, you know, you can't do what you normally like to do. And, you know, um, especially, you know, ourselves being, you know, sort of outdoor-y uh, type of uh, people, it's very difficult. But, you know, we got to do the responsible thing. we got to stay safe. we got to uh, make sure that we beat this this virus, uh, however difficult it's going to be. Um, but for sure, you know, I, I, I hope we can get out of... Uh, this as quickly as possible and, um, you know, that we can get back to uh, some sort of uh, normality as soon as possible. Uh, although I think that's going to take some time, but um, for sure, I think we're all missing our race cars and um, the team and everybody involved. Um, so yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have to hang tight for a, for a little bit more, but uh, let's hope the president has some good news for us tonight. Yeah, let's certainly hold thumbs. Uh, we're all hoping for that. And a lot of people don't realize is how fit you have to be to be a, a racing driver, especially when it comes to, to the Dakar, for instance. And, I mean, we've spent a, a bit of time with you over in your hometown in Stellenbosch, and, and you're very, very active uh, outside of the car. And, and you need to be to, to, to keep fit. So when people say, ah, oh, you're under lockdown, I mean, you're used to being inside a, a small space, uh, given the Hilux uh, out uh, in the deserts of Saudi Arabia and South America. It's not quite the case because you are addicted to the outdoors. You love your cycling. Um, uh, how, how are you managing to, to keep fit? Yeah, look, I mean, and, you know, we, we, can't, we cannot go out now, so we have to try and, you know, you have to try and find innovative ways to try and keep fit at home. Um, I'm lucky I've got a, um, you know, I've got a stationary bicycle uh, hooked up so I can do some riding on that. Um, I also tie myself to a rope in the swimming pool and uh, try and swim against that and then um, uh, play some table tennis with the kids. Um, and then the other thing, you know, also playing with the kids also also helps a little bit. Um, I've got three young kids, uh, seven, five and three, so that's a, a big job in itself to, to keep them busy because they don't quite understand uh, what this whole thing is about. But um, yes, you know, we, we've got to find ways just to keep in shape, to keep... Um, Keep ticking along uh, until we are allowed to to get out again. Lovely, yeah. Well, we uh, we're really glad that uh, you are still keeping fit and in shape uh, as we head towards. Well, yeah, that's that's the problem is that we don't really know when uh, normal service can resume uh, given this time of lockdown. I mean, geez, you, you prepare, prepare, prepare uh, for a big racing year ahead. Of course, we always look ahead to uh, the pinnacle being Dakar. But, of course, that's not just the case for you because uh, for those that don't know or who only follow the Dakar, for instance, I mean, you've got a, a packed schedule throughout the year. Unfortunately, not at the moment, but... Uh, Hopefully, when this lockdown gets unlocked, uh, you'll be be back in the racing seat. And why? Yeah, let's hope. Let's hope sooner than later. But but like you said, you know, we do a lot of other things during the year. We do a lot of other races. You know, first of all, we take part in the South African Championship. I've only done one race this year. Now, um, you know, the next three are cancelled. So um, hopefully, we can get some sort of a schedule towards the end of the year. And then we've also still got an uh, international race, Morocco, coming up in October. Um, and a few other things, you know, uh, like Fortunate Challenge with Toyota. And, uh, you know, there's, there's quite a few um, things going on there as well. But, you know, the, the difficult part is that there is no certainty to when we will, will be going back. Um, I mean, there's talk of maybe end of August, uh, beginning of September. But, I'm, you know, I think nobody really knows because, you know, it's going to play. Oh, um, 
let's hope it's sooner than later. But for sure, we we all um, itching to get back into uh, into what we we love to do. Janiel, we've been watching the Formula One races and uh, a few others, uh, MotoGP riders, for instance, uh, to try and avoid rustiness. Uh, they've been taking part in these eSports series, so they've been doing everything online and digitally. Um, I know there is a Dakar video game out and about. I actually play as you quite often. Um, have you been trying to keep uh, keep fresh by, by doing things uh, digitally or, or it can't replicate the, the real feeling? of uh, handling a, a Hilux? No, I would have loved to do it, but, uh, you know, I, a while ago I had uh, I had a setup, uh, you know, to do it, but I don't have now at the moment. That thing broke down, so, um, you know, I don't have a steering wheel and a seat or, or anything set up to do that kind of thing. So um, uh, maybe I'll, I'll have to get, get, get my hand on something in the future because you never know. Maybe that's uh, the only thing we'll be able to do for the next couple of years. Um, but yeah, no, for the moment, not. Um, the closest I'm getting to uh, driving something is, is pushing the lawnmower around the, the garden. <laughs> um, Janil, just a moment ago, we were talking about the Hilux getting ever better every year in preparation for Dakar, and, and you can certainly attest to that. But I have a question now, because we usually use, or Toyota uses the South African cross-country series as a basis for testing. Um, and preparation for the upcoming Dakar. But with so many races cancelled, don't you think that could have a big knock-on effect on the development of the car for the next Dakar? Look, obviously, it's going to have an effect because, you know, we, we can't travel, we can't fly. Um, you know, even even if the, the lockdown gets lifted a little bit, we don't know when we will be able to, to fly. You know, I, I'm in Cape Town. I need to get up to Johannesburg where the factory is. Um, they, they, obviously, there's a lot of testing we'd like to do, but that's um, all put on the back burner now. We were supposed to go to uh, the Kalahari Desert for some testing in April. Um, so, that obviously, that has a big effect on, on the whole schedule. So, how and when we will get back um, onto a, a sort of a proper test schedule, we don't know. But but for sure, it, 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 it's, it's going to affect us negatively. And... Um, We'll just have to deal with it, you know. We'll have to make the best uh, with what we've what we've got. No, I'm sure it's it's affecting all the teams globally, though. It's not mm. just not just um, you know the South Africans. Absolutely, it's affecting everybody. I mean, this this virus is affecting everybody through all spheres of life. You know, it's not it's not only uh, certain people. So it's uh, it's it's definitely got a big effect. Yeah, I think that's one of the few silver linings is that it has it's an even playing field in terms of who it's affecting. And as you said, yeah, it's it's not just uh, you or, or a South African team sitting with the problem; it's everyone. So, yeah, once uh, we're just playing a waiting game. Absolutely, I mean, it's it, the frustrating thing is the uncertainty, and um, you know, you you cannot plan, um, you cannot, uh, you know, you, it's it's even difficult for us to plan even uh, for the first race that's coming up or for the race or for the time that we're going to Morocco. We need to see how this plays out. And um, um, that, that is the most frustrating thing. You can't plan anything. And I think, unfortunately, it's going to be uncertain for quite a number of months before we get back to some sort of a normality, although I don't think it's going to be 100% like uh, we were used to, used to, that it used to be. So we'll have to wait and see. Listen, Janelle, just for my side, on a more positive note, if we can uh, leave the virus behind for a second. Mm. And every year we come back from, from Dakar and, and all my mates and everybody else that we know and that we speak to always wants to know, you know, how do 
how do those, those guys do it? And why is it so tough? And is it really so tough? You know, and I always explain to them that a stage is literally uh, every day. It's like driving from, from Joburg to Harry Smith. And then once you get to Harry Smith, you put on your helmet, and your, your Hans device and the neck braces and everything you strap in. And then you race flat out uh, from Harry Smith to say Margate. And that's just one day, you know, and, 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 and it's not along the N3. So, um, Die mense wat my nie glo nie, hulle sê vir my nie, hier is omhoondlik, hier kan ons nie elke dag so ver, hy nie dat die normale ouwrij van Joburg betoorde, toen dan sy moog, en dan moet hy betoorde, as slaap om te ris, ach nie, Joburg betoorde, ek bedoel, Joburg sê toe, weet, maar, maar jylle ouwens doen daar, en vir twee weke lang, jy weet, so vir die ouwens wat nie weet nie, hoe taf is het om so baie tyd in die kaart te spandeer, en is dit iets wat jy oor die jare al gewoond raak, of kom het maar net met die fiks uit, of ek weet nie, is dit een ding waarmee jy geboore word, die ouwens al buiten verstaan het nie, jy weet, so gee net van ons een bykie inside, bedink jy. Dit is wat hy ou doen, en dit is die eerste keer as jy hoor jy moet dit doen, dan kan jy nie geloo dat jy so baie moet rai op een dag nie, in die eerste plek, en in die tweede plek kan jy nie geloo, jy moet dit vir 14 dag aan mekaar doen nie. Maar dit is iets waarin jy gewoond raak, die eerste keer is het een skok as jy dit doen, die tweede keer is het een bykie beter, dit is soos enige iets wat jy doen, jy weet, as jy nie gewoond is daar nie, en is het altyd vir jou, een nieuwe ding is ons altyd vir jou moeilik, en maar hoe meer jy te doen, hoe meer raak jy gewoond aan, en jy weet, hoe meer raak jy gekonditioneer, so dit bly taf, ek bedoel, dit is geweldig lang daar, dit is precies wat jy sê, ek bedoel, jy rai, as jy nou van die kaap, as tydens, byvoorbeeld Kaapstad Bloemfontein, so jy rai op die teerpad, 120 km hier tot by Bouwvoort Bes, en jy spring daar weg, en jy rai tot net voor, Bloemfontein, en dan rai jy nog 200, dit is die stage waar jy nie time, en dan rai jy nog 200 kilometer op die teerpad, en dan slaap jy in Bloemfontein, en die volgende dag is dit die selle type ding, en die selle type afstand, maar, ja, soos ek sê, dit is iets van jy gewoond raak. Nou, sê net gaf vir my na al die jare, wat jy het nou al 17 of 18 van die goed achter die blad, as het nou so november kom, en die CNBS begin, begin lol, want jy weet, oor een maand, half of twee maand is het weer sikke tyd, is jy opgewonde, raak jy lis om terug te gaan, of is het kwestie van, damn it, ek moet alweer gaan doen, is daar te werk hierdie? Ek sal nie, patiker, as alles goed gaan in die Dakar, dan is het lekker, en dan geniet jy dit, maar as jy een slechte dag het in die Dakar, dan vraag jy definitief vir jouself, af wat maak ek hier so, hoekom is ek weer hier so, wat het ek hier kom doen? Maar ek denk, dit is wat met een reeds in die lewe so, ja, hy was altyd opgewonde om het te doen voor die tyd en die voorbereiding en al die paar werk wat aangaan. So hy was altyd opgewonde voor die begin van die wedrein, maar ja, as het goed gaan, is alles nice, maar as het slecht gaan, jy vraag jyself definitief af, hoekom doen ek dit? Derek, I think you'll agree that we've been lucky to have seen Janil on times when it was going both well and not so well, so you can definitely add to that. Oh, 100%. And Janil, just uh, those answers, but in English now, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? Uh, every year when we're on the Dakar, it's, um, it's very cool. We, we get uh, a front row seat into the action. And how it works is once they get to the bivouac or a far, uh, to the finish of the stage, um, I'm there front and center with the microphone in hand, and I'm the first to ask uh, the driver's questions. And always how it works is I get a couple of answers from Janil, and then I say, and I'm Afrikaans, please, and he's got to repeat everything that he's just said after taking on five, six, seven hundred kilometers of terrain in the car and just trying to remember exactly what he said. But I won't put you on the spot for that. But I am going to keep you around because uh, that pretty much wraps things up. Uh, as far as you're concerned, I know you're 
Not a busy man at the moment, but uh, you want to get back to the wife and kids. But while you are around, um, I'm going to throw a question out to Voldu and Hannes. We've got our Let's Drive top five. And I want to know from you gents, your favorite, your top five, uh, Janelle de Villiers moments or performances. I'm going to break it down into two, two, and then I'll select one. And I'm going to chase Voldu, let's start with you. Oh. Well, I'm glad you give it to me first because then I can take the obvious one, <laughs> no. which is obviously Janil winning, winning that car in 2009. I must just quickly tell you a little story about this. I'm, I'm sure Janil will remember, but years ago, I used to um, freelance for a magazine called Top Car Magazine. And shortly after winning the 2009 Dakar Rally, Janil um, was asked to participate in the story with me that we wrote for the magazine. I think we drove an Audi S8 or an RS6 or something like that. I can't remember which model it was exactly. Janil had to drive us around um, the Deutschkliff Pass and Kilani Racetrack and so on. And there was a rugby player involved. It's a, it's a whole long story. But I remember telling him, watching that final stage as a South African, mate of Janil, having known him for years, watching him actually get there, it felt so unreal. And I think it was a highlight, certainly in his life, more than any of ours. But, but for South Africans and, and my fellow motorsport lovers, what a moment for all of us, actually. So... That one has to be the first choice. Oh, what a spoil sport. Taking the obvious one uh, right off the bat. Ah. Hannes? Well, I have a few. Um, that That's the obvious one now, so I've got to go down my list. Um, does it have to be a Dakar moment? Can no. Can it just be any moment? No, a Janil well, de Villiers moment. Well, he's one. Giri, how many Morocco have you won? Three, I think. The last year was number four. Fourth it was one. number four. Okay, so, yeah. so, so seeing the hype around Fernando Alonso in Morocco and uh, everybody faffed about him and whatever, the people forgot that somebody still had to win the race. And when somebody had to win the race, Janil came through and did it. So I was very proud to have been a part of that uh, last year to see him win his fourth rally of Morocco. Valdu? Um, it's, I, I would have to go as a bit of a low light, actually. Um, um, when, when Janil managed to roll the rally car um, in Cape Town on the same um, session in the same part of the rally that his, um, that his teammate uh, Leroy Polter also rolled the rally car. Um, it certainly wasn't a highlight in terms of career or something that stands out in a positive way. But um, my word, if you're going to crash, then you know, that was the way to do it. It was a nice crash that I actually had a look at it two days ago. <laughs> I, I, I've been seeing it everywhere. And I think you got more exposure from that crash than most other locomotive sport in a long time. And I was, in front of I was at the... Sorry, I was at that corner. I saw the crash. I remember it clearly. It sounded a lot worse from the outside than what it actually was, eating that post. Yeah. yeah. No, it was, a, it was a big crash, but I had a bigger one. Uh, I had a bigger one in the off-road car in Hungary, which was uh, 10 times worse than that one. So uh, that one was a good one for the spectators. And it's yeah, it was. number and, four. And many of them filmed it. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, okay, number four, my second one. Um, it's a bit of a, 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 general, a general one. I would go with just Janil's overall performance at Dakar over 17 years. You know, people are always quick to to call Peter Ansel Mr. Dakar because he's won quite a few of these things. But if you look at his overall finish um, results compared to Janil's over the last 10 or so years, then Gini's uh, um, finish record is actually a lot better, you know. Janiel, I can see you He's top five or 11 or 12 times on the podium, seven or eight times. You've won it once. Your finishing record is a, is a lot better than Peter Ansel. So to me, that definitely uh, speaks a lot about what type of racing driver you are. 
So we ask for the top five uh, moments of Janil de Villiers' career, and Hannes gives us a moment that uh, spans 17 years. Very, very nicely done. Um, <laughs> uh, a proper cop-out, but how's this for a cop-out? I'm going to give my final selection over to the man himself. Janil de Villiers, what is your favorite Janil de Villiers moment that hasn't been taken? Well, I don't know. Well, I wanted to say the win in 2009, but... Sorry, um, it's taken. You can't have your moment. taken, but I, yeah. would, I, would, I would actually... I would. I mean, if I can't take that one, I'll go back to 19, end of 1996, when I won um, in Cape Town uh, the Super Touring Car Race. Uh, I won both Super Touring Car Races in the Nissan Primera. Um, you know, we raced with um, all the international guys where you... Uh, racing against this Frank Bieler, um, you know, or you name it, all the touring car greats of, of, of the 90s. And uh, I managed to win uh, the two races. It was it was probably in qualifying. I remember on the on the Friday, it was it was probably the best qualifying lap of my life that I did on a racetrack. Um, I qualified half a second ahead of the field. And I remember in qualifying, I had a huge moment through um, what they call the Marmersbury sweep at uh, Kilani Raceway. I actually came through there sideways with with the car. I lost the back end a little bit, and I and I thought, well, I mean, there goes my lap. But I kept on going, and I, as I crossed the finish line, I never forget it. I saw a one minute fourteen point five, um, and at that stage, I never, I was never below a one minute fifteen. And even with that slide, I did a one minute fourteen point five. So that was definitely my greatest qualifying lap and my greatest two races in a touring car. Well, there we go from the man himself. Uh, okay, I know we said five. Uh, we'll st- keep it to five. But uh, just my addition uh, and taking away from the, the racing side of things. Uh, every year we heard Voldu speak about it a little earlier. Uh, well, actually, Janil spoke about it earlier. It's uh, the Toyota Fortuna Four x Four Challenge that we compete in every year. Well, they compete in, uh, and we're involved in the production show and. Every year, Janelle de Villiers competes alongside uh, sports stars who are usually a yacht, lot younger than him, and he competes right until the very end. And, and you, you've won it a few times, Janelle, if I'm not mistaken, alongside uh, a, a fellow competitor or an entrant. Um, but yeah, you are without doubt always one of the toughest competitors that we, that we have uh, each and every year. So kudos to you. Um, it's been fantastic having you on board. Uh, and thanks again for watching or listening to another episode of Let's Drive. Voldu, Hannes, it's been a pleasure as always. And Janil, thank you so much. Thank you guys and uh, stay safe. Let's hope the president gives us some good news tonight.